Hi everyone, welcome to Creating Life. I'm Sindhuri Nandakumar. And I'm Nikhil Nankatesa. Today we're going to be talking about a subject that I'm not familiar with at all, which is slut shaming. But I'm very familiar with it. <laughs> Sluts! Yes? You know, Nikhil, there's a scene in the now wildly popular show Fleabag by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And I think it's season one, episode four, where she and her sister are on this silent retreat. It's a forced gift from their father. And um, she keeps hearing these angry men yelling things like slut really loudly from the neighboring building. So she goes there to find out what's happening. And it's basically a bunch of men in this rehabilitation program, if you will. And they're in rehab for basically hating women, calling them sluts, and just being misogynistic in general. All right. Now, wherever it's come from, your, your upbringing, your, your experiences with women, now is the time to turn that around, to reprogram your mind, your body, and your mouth to be the better man. All right? So... This is Patricia, yeah? She's a friend. Now, Patricia has just earned a promotion at work, beating over six other candidates. She's the youngest person to ever achieve this role. What should we not say when we meet her? Clever little munchkin. Excellent. Who's you blow to get that job? OK. Slut. You fucking stupid slut. OK. OK. What should we say to her? Well done, Patricia. Very good. And I wish there were more television shows like Fleabag and that had scenes like this that were more sort of reflective on the state of uh, sexual politics in our country. Because, you know, I hear so many stories of women being treated with double standards and being shamed, whether it's for the clothes that they wear or the uh, dating choices that they have, or the amount of alcohol they drink, the company they keep. So, have you ever had that experience, Sindhu? Yeah, where do I start? <laughs> um, I'll tell you the most recent and I, th I think egregious example. I um, recently got a message a few months ago from someone I had dated over four years ago and for a very brief time. The split was quite acrimonious and if my memory and all our text messages serve um, me correct, he didn't want it to end, right? And... We have not communicated since and just a couple of months ago, I wake up to this very random Instagram message and I'm going to paraphrase it because the, the language that was actually used was far more colorful, but it went along the lines of, um, quote, I wanted to call it off the moment I found out how many people you dated. I deserved a girl way better than you, someone with a good character. Dating you is a disgusting mark I will carry. I wanted to run away, but I didn't because I knew some of your family members. I met so many wonderful women after you who showed me what a woman should be. There is a five-letter word for a woman like you. Please look in the mirror before you start representing Tamil culture. It's disgusting. So, Sindhu, I'm kind of racking my head for what this five-letter word is. I don't know. Maybe it's like... Babe, number A, I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah. So how did that make you feel? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I felt really sad that I, you know, 
obviously cannot be the Tamil culture flag bearer anymore <laughs> in this person's eyes. But I want to say that I laughed it out and that I read it out loud to my woke girlfriends and we just celebrated the fact that I was, you know, free of someone like this and we just toasted our kombucha cocktails and life went on. But unfortunately, I care a lot about what people think about me. And seeing this message felt like such a punch in the gut. You know, there's nothing I've done that I'm ashamed of. But I started buying into these bitter words, especially when it's not the first time you've heard them. And when you've also heard them in different versions and in different levels of intensity from people that you do trust and care about. Mm. You know, but there are a couple of things here that really incensed me. One is the hypocrisy that was involved because... A lot of people like this don't honor the fact that they have different standards for the women mm-hmm. while they've never lived by these standards. Like I know I have an acquaintance who once was like, oh my God, it's going to be so hard to find a virgin to get married to because girls have dated so many people. <laughs> when for a fact, I know that he's had more than one sexual partner right? and has no shame about it. He's like, oh, I need to get laid, need to get, you know, like. And secondly, the... The brazenness of sending a message like this, because I feel like people who send these messages often bank on you not sharing them publicly Mm -hmm. because they know that if you share it, then the world will also know that you're a slut or that the world will be like, you know what? He's not actually far off the mark. Right. So in a way, they can remain private in all their, you know, in all their misogyny. Right. And, you know, something that, I've been thinking about uh, with this subject is how how different my experience of growing up has been in comparison to women, right? I feel mm-hmm. like the male experience is so... There's so much uh, less um, rules and, and strictures around how to behave that I think we take it for granted. And I, and I think, you know, be, being a woman in the world, uh, uh, you know, uh, once you're of a certain age, there's... I, you know, something that I noticed was how, you know, my friends who were women were seen in public by the men around them, um, that which was something I didn't notice for a long time. It was only when a friend of mine who was a girl pointed it out to me that, you know, she was being ogled at in a very obvious way that I started, you know, to notice it around me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just one of the things that men take for granted because it doesn't happen to them. And so, you know, when it comes to slut shaming, I haven't been on the receiving end of it. And so are there different ways in which you've been slut shamed apart from this particular incident or has most of it just been these kinds of messages? I think it's it's definitely been different, in, especially, you know, sometimes you hear it in passing from someone who might matter to you someone who might be like oh but you know or they look at you very sadly being like oh you dated all these people and nothing worked out like they're there Mm. um and also implying something about your uh you know character as a result of the fact that you've gone through these experiences when really you have not murdered anyone you haven't you know you don't have any substance addiction issues you are not like you haven't been an asshole or mean to anybody. And I, I feel like those are the standards I would want to live by, right? And you've hopefully not infringed upon anyone else's, else's views of consent, about consent. Mm-hmm. But these are never the standards that have been used. And it definitely is different. I think it comes from the same place. And I think to a certain extent, it's also 
influenced a lot by class and privilege. The kind of slut shaming I experience might be different to the kind of slut shaming somebody much wealthier and more woke than I am or the opposite mm. might receive. But one thing is, like my life is like a Venn diagram and one circle is these liberal, super woke friends. Like one of my friend once told me, friends once told me, she was like, you know, I'm on a mission to like have sex with as many people as possible because I want to get experience, bro. Like I want to be the best at whatever this activity is. And, you know, you you talk about polyamory very casually. You, you exchange your stories. But then you go back and you hear something like this. So you're just crossing between these worlds every day. And I think that's a very privileged position to be in. Right. But it's also very disorienting, right? It's like, how do you align yourself in a world like that? I, like, I still come from a family where I, I didn't have any sex education, where when I was in school and I had a boyfriend, I was the teachers went and told my father because I couldn't tell him myself. And my father then continued to act like somebody had died. Really? He literally was so upset. Wow. And then he once went through my email to find out whether I'd sent certain, you know, loving messages to a classmate that he was suspecting that I was dating. Mm. And then again, it was like somebody else had died. And so what is wrong with being attracted to somebody? It is evolutionary. We have been through this for thousands of years. Right. And now we're criminalizing that behavior. And in so many different ways, um, you know, just to contrast to your school experience, when I was in the 10th grade and I had to go for a date, my dad gave me 500 rupees and said, What? <laughs> go Things you could do with 500 rupees on a date back then? Yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah. And so it's, so it's clear what the problem is, Sindhu, even though mm. there's no solution in sight. In fact, you know, one of the solutions that, you know, we've read recently and we've been seeing time and again is that women have had to adapt to the situations around them, that they have to care less about what people say to them, that they shouldn't depend on what men, either in their families or in their relationships, tell them. And so they acquire strength like that. Yeah. A book that we read recently uh, called Besharam by the author Priya Alika Elias also gets into this and talks about how women need to look inside to find the resilience to uh, prevent themselves from being hurt by slut-shaming. So Priya Alika Elias is a lawyer and a writer, and her writings cover a range of subjects like feminism, race and mental illness to dating and music videos. Her recently released book, Besham, is directly inspired by her stint as an advice columnist for Burnt Roti, her experience navigating two different cultures, and from the fact that she has never heard a man being described as quote-unquote shameless. So Nikhil, I will start off by telling you why I appreciate Bishram as a book. <laughs> it's a collection of essays of sorts. It clearly comes from a very raw place. It's not meant to make you feel comfortable, but it shows that the writer has been thinking a lot about these things. And I really haven't seen a space for it in contemporary Indian literature and writing outside of what we might read on digital platforms. Mm-hmm. Obviously, We've discussed this before. It comes from a place of privilege, right? Right. And she's acknowledged it as well. Yeah, and she she acknowledges it when we spoke to her. I think I think it's a it's a it's a great book not only for women but for men as well because mm. it offers a lens like it gives the reader the opportunity to literally step in her shoes and see the world through a woman's eyes. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, it was instructive in how like as a man, you know, I take behavioral things for granted that I probably should 
uh, not take for granted and respect that I have that privilege and also be conscious of how I behave around women that they might perceive in a way that I might not intend. Yeah. I found some some aspects of it a little too on the nose. She she has a tendency to make lists that are sort of uh, satirical around Indian society. Mm. But I think it's a it's a great book for people to sort of get into the different sexual politics and, you know, the the ideas around being a woman in India. Yeah. And, you know, just to make sure that our voices are not bouncing around this studio, we decided to kind of reach out to Priya and ask her for her thoughts. And yeah, so let's go speak with her. Hi Priya, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. We're just talking about the different ways in which, uh, like I was just sharing with a few friends, like how I've been slut shamed and there are so many examples of it. And um, we thought that, you know, we'd like to know how in your book you address a lot about the misogynistic sexual culture in India today, but like slut shaming is not a theme that you directly address, but how would you place it within the Indian context? Uh, well, it's pervasive, it's everywhere. I mean, I think that from the time that girls hit puberty, really, uh, we sometimes even before that, there's constant, uh, a constant flood of slut-shaming and just, you know, it, 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 and it doesn't even have to be about sexual activity. It's about, you know, the way you dress, the way you, like, hold yourself in public, whether you keep your legs together or anything. It's just constant, oh, that's not bad, girls don't. Do the, bad girls act like that, you know, good girls don't do this. And there's just, yeah, it, it, it manifests in many forms, I think. Do you know what the roots of it are? I mean, I feel like that's a loaded question to ask. But why is it so much more pervasive in India than maybe other parts of the world? I think one of the big problems or, or why it's pervasive in India is that boys and girls are kept, are segregated so strictly and uh, people don't really conceive of sort of platonic friendships between the sexes and so on. And so uh, any girl who then does speak to boys, I remember I was... When I was in school, I remember my teacher saying that, you know, she would call my parents and report me because I was talking to boys. But mm. I wasn't talking to boys because they were my boyfriends. I was talking to them because they were my friends. So I think in India, that sort of keeping men and women apart really hurts um, in the sense that when women do then talk to men, they're such shame that they can't conceive of women having, you know, sort of normal relations with men. I can't find a lot of contemporary parallels in India for something like Beshram, especially in terms of the um, the courage it takes to write something like that. And I'm assuming that you may have received, in addition to all the praise, um, also some backlash, especially from people. And I'm wondering whether you received any slut, anything that you could classify as slut shaming after you wrote the book. Yes. Uh, I have actually, more than slut-shaming, weirdly, uh, sometimes I, I've actually received sort of Facebook messages and so on from men who were like, oh, you know, I read your book or whatever, or would you come over to, why, why don't you come over to my place and whatever and we'll have a drink? And I, I was like, uh, no, and, th and then I got slut-shaming. Wow. So, but it was very funny because every time I sort of talk about sex, and this has happened in the past as well, uh, I get messages from strangers and I get messages from strange men actually and they're like oh like you know let's meet and then I if I say no they're like oh but you know but you're, you said that you have sex like so it's sort of the perception is that a woman who has sex and talks about it will is sort of
sort of willing to have sex with literally anybody and that's like one form of like slut shaming that I have received oh but you know but you talked about sex like you must enjoy sex like you're a slut so why don't you meet me so that has been uh, yeah that's been interesting that's 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 quite terrible not to make this more anthropological than it needs to be but do you see categories of slut shaming like do you feel like when it comes from maybe a partner or an ex partner it's different to um a family member or a relative like do you think they all come from different places or is it just the same misogynistic thought patterns kind of regurgitating i i think it there's different forms of it yes i think that uh, i mean there's one which is which is the very sort of most obvious form which is that you should not have sex before marriage and if you do you're a slut uh but and that's something that maybe our elders would tell us is that something we like learned early on that virginity was somehow good or noble but i think that the, the insidious form is really like one of the more dangerous ones as well because i've seen for instance like a boy tell his girlfriend oh no you can't go out where where they were going to go out and he was like oh you but you can't wear that out and i don't want other men looking at you you're just not supposed to be wearing that and he was so sort of telling her you know no you can't put that on your body and i think for instance that's a form of such shaming too because it's sort of just controlling how people would be perceived or sort of saying that oh this is something that sati people would do it. you know i don't want you to show off your uh, breasts etc etc so yeah when it comes from when it comes from partners i think it's really hard to hear also i think it's that's really sort of sad one of the sadder sort of things and is it a right off for you if i mean would you give someone a chance if like a partner said something like that to you or is that an indication like okay we can never kind of continue we can't build a relationship on a foundation like this oh uh, i have had it happen to me and i haven't written it them off but i, I but i was younger when it happened and i wish what i had done was have a conversation one thing that i've been struggling with is the fact that you know when it's someone who says like oh you're a slut and it's somebody who has like a track record of being misogynistic or saying these sexist things it's almost a little easier to handle but right i sometimes get it in the form of you know wokish relatives or family members or friends who say who slip things in passing that are really hurtful like you know they're liberal in every sense of the word at least on the exterior right. but they say things like oh you know wow you've had so many boyfriends and there's a tinge of judgment right um, how do you like you know have you ever been in that situation and if so like how have you dealt with that Yes actually I mean and you're right it in that it often comes up in people who are otherwise quite liberal because it's so difficult to unlearn that right yeah. I actually had that happen to me with my own dad I remember once when I was younger he uh saw me kissing a boy and he uh was quite angry and I didn't know how to deal with it but I just said you know would you have reacted the same way if you had caught my younger brother doing it and he had to think about it and he was like wow you know i don't think i would have and i was like well there you go so i i think that the if if it's somebody that you care about who um is you know being sort of sexist or misogynist or such shame in any way i think that you do owe it to them to have like to yourself really to have a conversation with them and try and explain i mean that i think that's the only real way i and hope that they listen and understand where you're coming from and uh priya i think you know i uh, i do agree with you that uh, the conversations need to be had and you know one of the things that uh, i realized is how sheltered men seem to be for a long time about how women are actually treated around us by by other men you know so and so part of what happens is uh, those conversations are being had 
too late in the sense that men already have a sense of how things work in society and so when suddenly you know they're told that you know women are actually treated in a completely different way i feel like a lot of men don't really know how to respond to that yeah I, I, and that's the thing about privilege i think it's any kind of privilege if you're lucky you don't you're not aware of it right and you're not aware oh you can say that oh you know we live in a society that's post caste we live in a society that's post gender well but those will be upper caste people saying that those will be sort of privileged people who are men saying that because they don't see uh, the, the kind of different treatment that's being meted out to girls or to anybody else who's not them so there's mm-hmm. just Yeah so I think they can be quite resistant and defensive sometimes at first because they just they just haven't seen it they've been lucky in that regard so when you say it right. they're like oh that that is that really that still happens and I get a lot of well meaning men who say oh but that can't be still a thing in 2019 oh but it is very much uh, still happening right and you know one of the other things that uh that I've been thinking about and uh, Sindhu and I've been discussing this is that you know when it comes to slut shaming a lot of men are obviously uh, part of the problem but i think something else that is pretty common with slut shaming in india is that uh, women also slut shame other women which is yes. something that isn't so intuitive to understand so you know could you uh, like have you thought about this and could you just uh, uh, talk to us about why this happens in indian culture i just want to jump in and say i feel like some of the aunties that you describe in your book <laughs> seem like prime candidates for this kind Absolutely. of behavior yeah it's actually i would say i've been slut shamed in india more by women than men or wow. you know uh, or at least overtly the women who the the people have slut shamed me overtly saying oh like you shouldn't wear that you shouldn't do that you shouldn't talk they have been women and it's always i think it comes from women who have themselves been like taught you know that these things are bad and they sort of police when they grow up they sort of police other young girls and they police women more and they're like oh no i've learned that this is what a slut does and i want to prevent you from being you know a slutty and i want to i want people to think badly of you and um, yeah whenever i've come across that it has been i think a lot of sort of quite conservative older aunties i've gotten it from them and it's just really sad because it's obviously it's it's sort of an internalized misogyny and every time i receive it i think about what they have may what they may have learned growing up or what they had to deal with because they surely think that or oh, they act in some way that you know people perceive them as dirty and they need to tell other people like you know that oh no you can't do this they're very uh, sort of yeah uh, militant about it actually yeah right So like one of the questions I have is you know like as and you kind of make that clear in your uh, book as well some of us I think all of us having this conversation we straddle like a very liberal kind of privilege and in some of the social circles we hang out in it's actually positive to talk about your sexual encounters your polyamory or, or whatever it is yeah but then you know sometimes even us we intersect with other maybe family members or friends who are more conservative and then there are the people who are just completely outside of these environments who feel trapped by the the judgments and the value systems and what kind of advice if you will would you do you have for them because for them the threat might be way more existential it might be a matter of being you know dishonored by disowned by the family or something like that and how how would you like what would you say to somebody in that position Uh, I would say that I mean I've been sort of lucky, and I think a lot of the women that I know have been lucky in that we've found we've not had to deal with such oppressive and restrictive systems. But if you are, where the threat is, you know, something like oh, you'd be disowned for having a boyfriend, you would be, you know, maybe you'd come to physical harm. 
Oh, I my advice would be that if you can't, if you can find a community online, I think that's really really valuable because if you can't talk about it in real life in like safe spaces. The, if you have access to the internet, though, there are so many places. Like the fact that you know social media has risen so dramatically, and you have like these communities on Tumblr, you have communities on Twitter, really in a, in a lot of places. And so, so anybody who's sort of struggling with feeling shame or wanting to behave in a different way than they're allowed, I think that my advice to them would be to find your people online and. Uh, talk about it because that's the most important need and then sort of go from there. Priya, it's interesting that you bring up sort of this online aspect of building a community to, uh, you know, build a safe space for yourself because from what I've seen at least, slut shaming has sort of grown exponentially in magnitude in the online space. and Yeah, it has. And, and especially, you know, uh, a lot of uh, not just celebrities, but also women in positions of uh, speaking out from journalism and also activism, they're often slut shamed in a very weaponized sense. And so to hear that, you know, using the online space to build a safe space sort of seems the, uh, contrary to what we've seen the Internet used for in, in the context of slut shaming. Right. Well, I, I mean, as a woman who's been on Twitter for the last, like, I don't know, four or five years, I definitely think that men, and there are communities like 4chan and Reddit, unfortunately, where men do weaponize sort of their collective presence and then they sort of attack prominent feminists. I mean, that happened in America with Gamergate. So there's definitely like a, you can sort of find people, you know, who think like you, whether they're incels or pickup artists or just garden variety misogynists and then sort of like attack women and call them sluts but uh, at the same time I would still argue that there are though there are those terrible communities there are also spaces where uh, you know you sort of find people who think like you no matter what your what your you know identity is no matter what your struggle is you will still I think find I, I know I found people who were sort of have helped form a community for me Got it. And Priya, what would you say to uh, the people who are on the receiving end of that weaponized slut shaming from those groups that you just talked about? You know, one of the accounts that we read in in sort of thinking about this subject was from a journalist, Rana Ayub, who, um, yeah. you know, investigated uh, into uh, the Prime Minister Narendra Modi and Amit Shah and their role in the 2002 Godra riots. And for her expose, she was subject to one of the most vitriolic uh, rounds of slut shaming that, you know, I've seen online at least. So what would you, you know, what would you say to someone in her position who's just bombarded at, you know, at all sides in so many different ways with deep fakes, with uh, messages not sent not only to herself, but her community on WhatsApp and those things like that? Unfortunately, I think that, you know, these uh, social media has de developed before sort of the laws did. So in a lot of senses, like we don't have the wherewithal to deal with harassment that happens online. We simply don't have like, you know, adequate procedures or policing done to ensure that, you know, oh, let's make sure that somebody doesn't get their phone number published on and then they'll get, you know, a billion messages. And even somebody, it happens so often, unfortunately, even to somebody like Balka Dutt, if you check their ads on Twitter, they're constantly getting, um, you know, uh, threats and yeah, slut shamed and whatnot. My only thing that I would say to them is that, uh, you know, take heart. This is all. I, I really think that the more sort of 
the more important work you're doing, the more prominent you are, the more visible you are, the more things you're saying to sort of make society better, the more hate you will get from a certain segment of society. It really does mean, though, that that visibility, unfortunately, does mean, though, that you're important, you're doing important work. So just some sort of, you know, hopefully the women like that can soldier through it and eventually we will have better ways to deal with the trolls. Because I don't, I've never been a person who says, oh, they're just an online troll, it doesn't hurt. No, I've seen the sort of violence that, you know, that trolling can do. So, yeah, I just, I'm, it's it's very, very unfortunate that women who have to, you know, undergo that for doing the sort of great work that they do. Yeah. And, you know, we um, <clears throat> collected a few accounts from people on the other side of it, like people who have slut shamed at some point in their life. And we just wanted to share with you just one anecdote. And I'm sure you've heard many versions of it more extreme also. But basically, this one guy talked about his college classmates who would slut shame people based on the kind of clothes they were wearing or the number of partners they had, even if the partners were all consenting and you know, there was full disclosure. And seven or eight years after graduating, he's in a few WhatsApp groups with them. A couple of them have, I mean, all of them have made it very clear that they want to be married to quote-unquote virginal brides. Okay. Their parents have um, sent off private detectives to look into the lives of uh, fiancés and their pasts. And two marriages were even called off because of questionable chastity, so to speak. And... Yeah. He says the same men who had their marriages called off on the WhatsApp group share pictures of underage women on Instagram and comment on those pictures saying like tomorrow show boobs or things like that. Yeah. And it's just like the sheer hypocrisy in it is just so overwhelming. But do you see things getting better at all? I do. I do. I think, yeah, the hypocrisy is sort of the biggest problem because... And I think, I mean, in an Indian context, it might be more immediately apparent. But I mean, ever since the idea that like so the, the construct of virginity for women has always been different than it has been for men, that that for men, right? And so it's just the double standards are very, very sort of... Uh, I mean, it's just sort of mind-blowing that you expect, like, oh, a woman to be good in bed, but also a virgin. You also expect so many, you want her to be prude, like, sort of chaste, but not prude. So it's very difficult, but I, I do think that there are more than ever now women who are now speaking out against this. And I think that that's what, I think that men are sort of, older men particularly, I've seen a lot of uncles say, oh no, feminism is ruining everything these days. And the, what they mean is just that more women are speaking. That's all that it is. And I think that the, the fact that more women are speaking will be really what brings the change and like brings in an era where people say, no, I, 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 I refuse to be subjected to double standards. So I do think, see things changing, hopefully for the better. Nikhil, so that was a very interesting conversation. Right. And what I have been thinking as we've been talking and trying to figure out what we can say that's new and different to what's already been said is that Priya like would not have been able to release a book like this 50 years ago. Our parents would not have been able, if podcasts existed 50 years ago, wouldn't have been able to like sit here and have this conversation. So at least in that way, we are privileged and we... The problems that we have today are like a reflection of the times that we're in. Mm -hmm. And it's not just women. There are men, um, non-gender conforming people from the queer community, for instance, who also have been awarded these very shameful stereotypes that society is just not able to look past. Right. But what, if anything, have you taken away from this conversation? Well, Sindhu, for me, it's 
it's a question of um, being conscious of the privilege that I have and and the fact that, you know, I, I mean, me personally, I try to be respectful of how I behave towards women because especially in this uh, current climate where so many powerful men are rightfully so being taken to task for their uh, misogynistic and for their actions towards women. And mm-hmm. I think that it's a, it's a positive change in society, movements like Me Too and Time's Up and all of these things. But, you know, one 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 way in which I feel um, like I don't know what to do is when it comes to communicating how I feel to other men because there are biases and things that we're not conscious of that influence the way we think and the way we talk. Uh, and it's it's hard to get rid of that. And it's also, you know, I've, I've had the privilege of studying abroad and uh, and learning in Western societies where, you know, we don't have the same strings that are attached um, in our in India, right? So I'm still, like, struggling to find out, you know, what can be done. But one thing, like you said, you know, women have more freedom today than they had 50 years ago. And so my hope is that 50 years from now, there will be a more free, open and more positive society around women. But, you know, seeing the level of um, hatred and misogyny that still exists both online and offline, it's something that's difficult for me to reconcile. For sure, I agree with you. And it's not very hopeful because like we said before, it's always the women who contort and twist themselves. And like, I need to periodically go to people like my sister or a close friend to say, oh my God, this person said something about me. And then my sister kind of injects me with a dose of confidence. She's like, don't listen to them. You are (laughs) amazing. You didn't do anything wrong. Um, But it's not... Like, it's not the people who are causing the problem who are doing anything to kind of address it and, you know, stem stem its tide, basically. But hopefully that'll change. And I think, you know, another place that uh, can push the needle forward is through representation in TV, movies and politics. And politics. Yeah. And, you know, people like us who are in the public sphere and talk about these things like we are here, right? And force people to question their biases in different ways. People like Priya who write about sexual politics and, you know, how men behave around women. And I think just having these conversations can hopefully start pushing the needle forward. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, we can also find ways to broaden this conversation because as you and I have discussed offline, this podcast is still a pretty privileged thing that's probably only reaching the ears of a very privileged or select group of people. And we'd we'd like to change that and hopefully a lot more things in the future. Definitely. Creating Life is co-hosted by me, Sinduri Nandakumar, along with Nikhil Venkatesa. Our episodes are recorded at Aura Studios Chennai. Our associate producer, C. Kirinan, and recording engineer for this episode is Bob Puka. And we would love for you to stay in touch with us. So if you have any comments, please write to us at creatinglifepodcast at gmail.com. That is creatinglifepodcast at gmail.com. Or visit our website at creatinglifepodcast.com. 